following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you guys here. If you have a Bible with you, grab it and let's go to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians four. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can always access it on our IBC mobile app. You can follow along there. We're gonna be in Ephesians chapter four. In the year 1559, the Protestant reformer John Calvin issued the final and definitive version of his book, The Institutes of the Christian Religion. Uh, That book now sits on my shelf actually in two big, thick volumes. In in that work, Calvin sought to articulate the the basics of what Christians believe and took him two big, thick books to do that. But but interestingly, the whole thing begins. This is one of the most influential works of theology in the history of the church. And and the, the, the book begins with these lines. Calvin says, nearly all the wisdom that we possess... That is to say, true and sound wisdom consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. And which one precedes and brings forth the other is not easy to discern. Isn't that interesting? Calvin says nearly all the wisdom that that we possess is comprised of two parts, knowing God and knowing ourselves. And he says these two things are deeply intertwined. That we can't really know God deeply without knowing ourselves deeply. And that we can't really know ourselves deeply without knowing God deeply. And what you find is you look across the Christian tradition of spirituality and you find this emphasis on self-awareness woven down through the centuries. The uh, the. A North African bishop, St. Augustine, once asked the question, how can you draw close to God when you're far from your own self? And then he prayed, grant, Lord, that I may know myself so that I may know you. The Spanish spiritual writer, St. Teresa of Avila, claims that almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of of self-knowledge. This emphasis on really knowing ourselves deeply and thereby coming to know God more deeply is woven throughout the, the centuries of Christian spirituality. And interestingly enough, more and more, even in contemporary writing about, around business and leadership, there's a recognition of the profound importance of self-awareness. A recent article from Harvard Business Review uh, captures it this way. Atasha Ehrlich in her article says, self-awareness seems to have become the latest management buzzword, and for good reason. Research suggests that when we see ourselves clearly, we're more confident and more creative. We make sounder decisions, build stronger relationships, and communicate more effectively. We're less likely to lie, to cheat, to steal. We're better workers who get more promotions. We're more effective leaders with more satisfied employees and more profitable companies. All trace back to this characteristic of self-awareness. Now, in that Harvard Business Review article, the researchers suggest that nearly everybody thinks of themselves as self-aware, 
But then in fact, they found that of the people they surveyed, only 10 to 15% actually displayed the characteristics of self-awareness. And I suspect that across this room, the vast majority of us would think of ourselves as a part of that 10 to 15%. There's a need for all of us to grow in really understanding ourselves and thereby to come to know God more deeply. Knowing God, knowing me. We are here in the second week of our sermon series called Deeper Still. And uh, we talked about this last week, that, that we introduced this theme that really is not only our theme for this series, but in a lot of ways, what we're going to undertake over the course of the coming year as a church, to move deeper into spiritual and emotional health and seeking to have a greater missional impact in the world. Last year, we said that as a church, we want to go deeper in our discipleship to Jesus by going deeper into the story of the Bible. And that shaped our sermon series for the year. It shaped initiatives in our various ministries. And this year, we believe God's calling us to go deeper still. That This year at Irving Bible Church, we're going deeper in our discipleship to Jesus by focusing on deeper emotional and spiritual health and greater missional impact in the world. At IBC, we believe that found people find people, that loved people love people, that healing people bring God's healing to their neighbors, their communities, and the world. And this year, we want to experience God's healing power in new and fresh and deeper ways, and we want to invite those around us in to experience the healing that Jesus came to bring. And as we pursue deeper emotional and spiritual health, we're gonna be talking today about the profound importance of self-awareness, knowing ourselves more deeply that we might come to know God more deeply. There's an interesting little tool that was introduced in 1955 by, by two psychologists that, that help us think through this idea of self-awareness. It's called the Johari Window. It was uh, created by two psychologists, Joseph Luft and Harrington Ingram. Joe and Harry, Johari, the Johari Window. And it's a simple little two-by-two two grid. Um, and across the top, it's got uh, known to self and then unknown to self. Along the side, it's got known to others and unknown to others, creating for us four quadrants that help us understand how well we know ourselves and live from that place of self-awareness. So in the upper left, that quadrant that is known to self and known to others, that's what we might call the open quadrant. That's just the recognition that this is who I am, that I know myself and that you know me. These are things that are lived out in the open. And the idea of self-awareness is coming to live more and more of our lives out in the open. Certainly there are those things in my life that are private, that are, that are not for public display, but for us to grow in self-awareness, for us to, um, to experience more and more emotional health and maturity is to live more and more of our lives in the open. But then if you move to the upper right quadrant, you see that is uh, known to others, but unknown to the self. This is that experience that happens like, you know, when you have spinach on your teeth, right? And everybody else around you can see it, but, but you have no idea it's there. And so what you need in that moment, right, is for somebody to just love you enough to go, hey, you got something right here, right? And that's true with regard to our character. It's true with regard to our temperament, to our personality. It's true with regard to the way that we show up in the world and the way that we make an impact on other people. There's sometimes those things about us 
that everybody else sees, but that we don't actually see in ourselves. These are our blind spots. And so what we need is somebody who loves us enough to to tell us the hard truth about ourselves. And I I suspect that if we were to go around and tell stories, that, that all of us would have some kind of story to tell of a time that somebody loved you enough to tell you the hard truth. Those conversations are never pleasant, they're they're never comfortable, and yet they're profoundly important because what happens is when somebody tells us how we show up, the impact we make on other people, they help us to see our blind spots, and it moves then from the blind quadrant into the open quadrant. I come to know myself more deeply. And then there is that quadrant on the bottom right that is known to self, but not known to other people. That is the hidden quadrant. That is those areas of my life that I keep hidden from everybody else. These are mostly the things about which I feel embarrassed or ashamed. Those areas of my life, those struggles, those sin patterns, those wounds that I don't wanna let anybody else see, that I don't wanna let anybody else into. Known to me, but hidden from everybody else. And again, it's not that we want to put everything on display, that everybody knows everything about all of us, but coming to greater emotional health and maturity, coming to greater self-awareness means more and more having some of those things that are at least known by those trusted friends in real community, entrusted to a, a safe a pastor or, or maybe a therapist, doing that work where these things that are kept hidden become out in the open, at least for those for whom I could really trust. And then finally, we have that quadrant in the bottom right, that quadrant that represents unknown to self and unknown to others. This is the unknown quadrant. And the thing is, many of us live our lives deeply impacted by things that are in that quadrant, and we have no idea. These are oftentimes those old wounds, those experiences of trauma, those childhood vows, things that are in our past that we're not fully aware of just the way in which they're impacting who we are and how we show up, how we operate in the world. We don't know it about ourselves. Other people don't know it about us. They might experience the impact without having the awareness. These are those things that are underneath the surface rather than the tip of the iceberg. And so for us to grow in self-awareness means to explore more and more the areas that are in that unknown quadrant and to bring that out to self-awareness and bring that out into the open. To know ourselves more deeply and thereby to know God more deeply. Now, I believe Paul speaks to this whole idea of growing in self-awareness and and gives us an admonition that that speaks to this in uh, Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four, Paul is writing to churches Ephesus and, and he begins there in verse 17 and says, so I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And here he's using the word Gentiles just to refer to those who are far from God, right? Those who, who haven't had their life transformed by the love of God in Christ and therefore live in their own power and their own strength, self-reliance. To no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. 
Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they're full of greed. Paul says, here's the default operating system of life apart from God that's lived out this way because of hard-heartedness, insensitivity, sensuality, impurity, and greed. This is the life that is ruled by our passions, the life ruled by our appetites. This is the life captured in that little Latin phrase, homo incurvatus in se, the being turned in upon himself. And this is the default operating system of those who seek to live their lives apart from God, relying on themselves. But Paul says, this is not the way that it's supposed to be for you. He continues in verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says this process of transformation for you and for me involves a taking off and a putting on, a taking off, a putting off of the old self and a putting on of the new. A putting off of the false self and a putting on of the true. Your old self is the false self. It's the way of life that you learned to operate in self-reliance. It's the habits and patterns and practices that we've learned to rely on to be okay in this messed up world, but that are ultimately not honoring to God and not healthy for us. The new self is the true self. It's who God made you to be. It's you fully alive and fully free. It's you when your heart and your life and your character is looking more and more like Jesus. And Paul says we gotta put off the old false self and put on the new true self. Now how do we do that? I think this is where self-awareness comes in. For us to put off the old false self and put on the new true self requires us to know ourselves, to know what's old to put off and to know what's new to put on. In 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul admonishes his protege, Timothy. And he says, Timothy, two things you gotta do. Pay attention to your life and your doctrine. And it seems to me that that we, especially kind of in our Bible church type tradition, give a lot of attention to our doctrine, making sure that we got our beliefs straight. And and that's great. That's important. That's a big part of who we are as a church is making sure we got truth down. We got the Bible down. We We got our beliefs straight. Pay attention to your doctrine. But Paul says, Timothy, pay attention to your life. That we need to cultivate a kind of deep spiritual introspection. Not spiritual narcissism where we become preoccupied, consumed with ourselves, right? Turned in on ourselves, but a kind of healthy spiritual introspection. Pay attention to your life so you know what needs putting off and you know what needs putting on. Now, I want to give you just a framework that I think is helpful for thinking about this pursuit of deeper self awareness. 
And uh, really, it's a framework that comes from the work that we did together as a church last year. As we talked about the story of the Bible, you can summarize the story of the Bible in kind of four main movements, creation, fall, redemption, and renewal or restoration. And I think you can use that exact same framework to think about what it means to come to know ourselves most deeply. In fact, I think this is what Calvin is really getting at when he talks about the relationship between the knowing of God and the knowing of ourselves. And that is knowing, first of all, God as creator and ourselves as creature, right? Knowing God as creator and ourselves as created. And and most fundamentally, this means just the recognition, there is a God and I'm not him, right? And for some of us, that's a kind of a hard thing to embrace, right? That sometimes for me as a pastor, as I seek to lead our staff and lead this church, it's important for me to remember I am not sovereign, despite the fact that sometimes I operate as though I want to be, right? This involves our willingness, our ability to relinquish the illusion of control. And for some of us, we're still very much in process in that regard. There is a God, and I'm not him. He is the creator and I am his creation. But beyond that beginning level recognition, to take it deeper is just to be reminded he is the creator and I am his creation and he does good work. He's done good work in creating you as you are. That he has designed you, that he has wired you, that he has gifted you. And that self-awareness comes in recognizing who I am, how God has made me, and what he's made me to do. I love that line from Psalm 139, that great psalm that Sissy taught us just a few weeks ago. The psalmist in Psalm 139, 13 says, For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And that little phrase, inmost being, the, the Hebrew literally reads, You formed my kidneys. Anybody else excited about that this morning? Isn't it good to know that God formed your kidneys? I mean, doesn't that just make you want to stand up and shout, hallelujah, God, you formed my kidneys. Well, in the Hebrew mind, in the Hebrew imagination, the kidneys were the seat of the emotions. The kidneys were the the seat of your character, your, your temperament. God shaped your character your temperament, your personality from the very beginning that he has made you who you are and he does good work. You know, I, I'm one who loves all the personality profiles and assessments and temperament. I mean, I just, you can ask our staff. I kind of geek out over all that stuff. Like I love the DISC and I love the Myers-Briggs and I love the Enneagram and I love Strength Finders. I am an S-D-I-N-F-P-9 with a wing A with gifts of uh, strength of uh, context, adaptability, intellection, learner, and relator, right? I geek out over all those tools, and I think they're all really helpful. And the reason, ultimately, that I think they're helpful is they help us understand more deeply what God has done in designing you the way that he's designed you, that he didn't make any mistakes, that he did good work, but that, but that the way each of us are designed, are each, are each of us have our own unique personality, disposition, temperament, with its strengths and its weaknesses, with its superpowers and its kryptonite. And I need to understand more deeply how God has designed me, 
how he's wired me. Because that impacts the way that I then show up and relate to the world around me. And so if I seek to truly be loving in relationship, I need to know myself. How has God designed me and wired me? And that then leads me to understand more profoundly what he's put me on this planet to do. Because friends, God has created each and every one of you. He formed your kidneys. And he puts you on this planet to play a part. Your purpose that's part of his purpose to play a part that only you can play. Do you know how God has designed you? How he's wired you? Do you understand the dynamics of your personality, your temperament, your strengths, your weaknesses, your superpowers, your kryptonite? Do you know what he put you on this planet to do? This comes from that spiritual introspection seeking to understand more fully God as creator and me as his creation. But second, it involves us knowing God is holy and myself as fallen. God is holy, which just means to be set apart from anything that is corrupt. And therefore then to recognize that when it comes to that which is corrupt, I'm a part of it. To understand God as holy and ourselves as fallen. And I love the way Paul captures this sentiment in First uh, Timothy chapter one verse fifteen. And and remember, Paul. That Paul is one of the the main messengers of the story of Jesus. Right? Paul is one of the the heroes of the Bible. One of the people that we look up to the most. And here's the way Paul says it. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Now, this is Paul, the apostle. The the man who changed the ancient Mediterranean world and his legacy has changed the world in its entirety. The, The author of significant portions of our New Testament. And Paul says, when it comes to sinners, I'm the chief among them. And I'm the worst. Now, had Paul done a extensive, exhaustive survey of the sin of of every person in the ancient um, first century world to determine that he was the, the chief among them? No, of course not. Paul knew himself. He knew the reality of his fallenness. He knew that he was deeply flawed and desperately in need of grace. And in light of that reality, he couldn't imagine anybody that was in worse shape than himself. That he could look at himself and recognize his own deep flaws and his desperate need for grace and therefore not be preoccupied with anybody else's problems, anybody else's struggles, anybody else's frailty and fallenness. I got my own to worry about. Thank you very much. Right? We, ourselves... If you don't know this, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you need to hear it. <laughs> you got spinach in your teeth, right? Um, we are deeply flawed and desperately in need of grace. All of us have weaknesses, have vulnerabilities. 
It's a little bit like, um, and forgive the sports analogy, but it's a little bit like a coach who watches game film. Right? The, the, the best, most successful coaches actually spend more time in the dark watching film than they do on the sideline coaching their team. And what they're doing is they're watching that other team and they're watching for the, the habits, the weaknesses, the tendencies, the vulnerability. They're looking for those subtle little clues, those vulnerabilities that they can exploit. And so the, the coach will, will zoom in and he'll see that, that, that guard and that number 66, watch 66. And, and when he puts his right foot just three inches back, that means he's gonna pull on that play and you'll be ready to shoot the gap, right? Watches for those, those vulnerabilities, those habits, weaknesses, and tendencies. Now, if we take seriously, and I think we should, the idea that God has an enemy at work in the world, who seeks to undermine his good intention for your life and mine at every turn, and I think we should take that seriously, that means the enemy watches your game films, looking for your habits, your weaknesses, your tendencies, those vulnerabilities in your life that he can exploit. And therefore, you better know those things or else you're sunk, right? I need to know my habits, my weaknesses, my tendencies, my areas of vulnerability. I need to know my shadow. Can you answer the questions, how are you vulnerable? The next level down, when are you vulnerable? And the next level still, why are you vulnerable? To know ourselves and to know God is first to know him as creator and ourselves as creation. Second, to know him as holy and ourselves as fallen. But third, the good news, to know God as redeemer and yourself as redeemed. Another way to say this is to know that he is love and you are the beloved. Paul in Colossians chapter one, verse 13 says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. He is the redeemer, we are the redeemed. He is the rescuer, we are the rescued. He is love, you are the beloved. You can't really know God and know yourself apart from knowing the reality of your love. Yes, we are deeply flawed and desperately in need of grace, but he has lavished his grace upon us in Christ Jesus. Julian of Norwich in the first book uh, published by a woman in the English language, The Revelation of Divine Love, she says, our courteous Lord does not want his servants to despair, even if they fail frequently and grievously. Our failing does not stop his loving us. Yes, we are deeply flawed and desperately in need of grace, more than we would like to admit. But he is love. And what is most deeply and profoundly true of you is you are his beloved. And we cannot truly know ourselves apart from really knowing this truth and having it change our life. Knowing God as redeemer and ourself as redeemed or knowing God as love and ourself as beloved. And then finally, knowing God as restorer and yourself as a work in progress. God is in the restoration business. And the story of the Bible is creation, fall, redemption, restoration. 
right? That, that the end of the story is the renewal of all things, the restoration of all things, the reconciliation of all things. But that day has not yet arrived. And in the meantime, we're all a work in progress. In fact, I think it might be good for you just to turn to somebody next to you and tell them, you are a work in progress, right? But also then to, to maybe turn the other way and to say, and I am a work in progress, right? We're all a work in progress. We say a lot around here that there's coming a day when everything wrong with this world will be made right and everything broken in this world will be made whole and everything marred in this world will be made beautiful. And that's true of you. That's true of your life. Everything wrong in your life will be made right. Everything broken in your life will be made whole. Everything marred in your life will be made beautiful. Everything sad in your life will come untrue. But that day has not yet come. Restoration is coming and has begun now. But until it comes in its fullness, we're a work in progress. I had uh, opportunities over the course of the last couple of weeks in various uh, conversations with people in different kinds of circumstances, but people who have come to be very dear to me to have conversations with people who, if asked to answer really honestly, would just say, I'm not okay. And uh, in different ways, for each one, my response was, that's okay. It's okay not to be okay. Because we find ourselves in a broken world where things are not the way they're supposed to be. And we are frail and we are flawed and we hurt and we grieve. And sometimes we're just not okay. It's okay not to be okay. We're a work in progress. And, and if it's true, and I think it is, that God's fundamental disposition towards the people that he loves is compassion if he's compassionately disposed toward us, I think it's important for us to grow in our compassionate disposition toward ourselves. It's okay that we're not okay. There is coming a day when all will be made right, but that day is not here yet. And in the meantime, you and I, all of us, are a work in progress. To know God deeply means to know that he is the restorer, that restoration is coming. And to hold on to that with all our might while we wait. And to know yourself as a work in progress. Friends, the, the call of God on your life and mine, if we're followers of Jesus, is to go deeper into this emotionally healthy spirituality, to, to put off the old self and to put on the new, to, to put off the false self and to put on the true to know God and to know yourself and to know that you are made by God and he does good work, that he forms your personality, your temperament, that he made you for a purpose, that you are deeply flawed and desperately in need of grace, but that he loves you infinitely, immeasurably, unconditionally, and that you are a work in progress. And that work and that progress is the putting off of the old 
and the putting off and the putting on of the new. The, the putting off of the false, the putting on of the true. Knowing God more deeply and knowing ourselves more deeply. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the confidence that we have in facing ourselves before you because you are compassionately disposed toward us, because you love us. You love us infinitely, immeasurably, unconditionally. The reckless, extravagant love of God. And therefore, we can face ourselves. We can explore those unknown parts of our lives. We can expose those hidden parts in our lives. We can be open to learning about the blind spots in our lives. Because as we do, we not only come to know ourselves better, but we come to know you better through the process. And I pray for all of us that we would be open to this work of spiritual introspection. And even now, as we come to communion, that we might examine our hearts before you to see if there's anything there that we need to, to just bring to you this morning before we partake of these elements. And so, I give you a moment of quiet reflection before the Lord now. Father, we thank you this morning for your grace that you lavish upon us in the Lord Jesus, the security that is ours because of the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Therefore, we can hold to the truth that, that I am who you say I am. I'm your beloved child. We are your beloved children. So we thank you now as we partake of communion together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.